0: Look, up in the sky, it's not as much as there used to be. Three billion wild birds have vanished from North America's air in 50 years. A new study calls that loss staggering. Three billion is as many as one bird in four. Birds of the forest, birds of the grasslands, gone. And 50 years is about the same time that it took North America to send the passenger pigeon, once the most abundant bird on the continent, flying by the billions in flocks that blocked the sun for hours at a time to send it into extinction. These creatures who evolved from the dinosaurs, who delight us with color and song, humans are crowding them out, plowing up and chopping down their habitat, poisoning them with pesticides, installing windows that they smash into, allowing domestic cats to kill them. And just over a century after the nation began protecting its native birds with the landmark Migratory Bird Treaty Act, the Trump administration is ready to weaken its enforcement. Steve Holmer heads the American Bird Conservancy, whose motto is, Bring Back the Birds. Can it be done, and how? billion birds in 50 years in this country. Why are they disappearing?
1: We believe it's a combination of things. Migratory birds spend the majority of their year in the South, either in the Southern U.S. or in Central or South America. And so there's all kinds of habitat issues there. And then when they actually migrate, they have what's called stopover places where they basically need to stop and fuel up again and if that habitat isn't in good condition or if they face threats there, then, then that could affect their migration. Some new studies indicate that pesticides might prevent migrating birds from gaining sufficient weight. These stopover points, they typically will gorge themselves and gain a bunch of weight so that they can fly, in some cases, all the way up to the Arctic where they have their chicks. And then they come all the way back. It's quite a gauntlet that they go through. We think all of this is adding up into these declines.
0: Would you make the case for why bird life matters? People think, ah, it's just sparrows, ah, it's just pigeons.
1: They're actually a very good indicator of the overall health of the environment. And so when we see these bird declines, it's an indication that in a sense there's something out of balance. And we've seen certain habitats would be removed to a degree that the birds would become endangered that used to live there. And at the same time, we've had some very successful conservation efforts. We've brought the bald eagle back, for example. It's its population is now increasing ten percent a year. And it's just the result of banning DDT and, and other efforts to protect it.
0: Seventy years ago, communist China crusaded against sparrows as public animals of capitalism, and they killed billions. Well, without the sparrows to eat them, the insects flourished, the crops were destroyed, and millions of Chinese starved. The earth needs birds. People need birds.
1: Birds play a crucial role within the ecosystem in terms of eating insects and other things, and then also being eaten by other things. Part of the reason why the loss of the three billion birds is so significant is that's a huge loss of biomass that used to be in the system. We need to think about doing some things to try to restore balance. What kind
0: of birds were foremost among those 3 billion that aren't around anymore?
1: Really common birds, meadowlarks, grassland birds in particular, seem to have taken a a really huge dip. There have been some new studies showing significant impacts from pesticides and an ongoing process of of called intensification with agriculture, where they're using more and more of the land in a much more intensive fashion. And the result is there's just less available for wildlife. But it really gets down to the price of corn in some ways. And then the subsidies for corn ethanol have actually been pretty bad for birds because they're leading to the sod busting and we don't have a whole lot of original prairie left.
0: About a year ago, the Natural Resources Management Act was signed into law by the Trump administration, a bundle of bills. A lot of conservation groups had campaigned for them. Isn't that something of a step forward?
1: It wasn't a perfect deal, though. There was still a rider in there that prevents protection for the greater sage-grouse, which right now is in severe decline. The sage-grouse is a a bird that lives all across the Great Basin, a little bit of northern California, that kind of desert country, is where you'll find sage-grouse. They actually will eat the sagebrush and hide in it. They're an excellent indicator for basically pristine, wide-open spaces. They like big areas. They like it quiet. And so as energy development and other things have descended upon that region, we've actually seen the the grouse population decline by as much as 90%.
0: When we see species like the meadowlark start to disappear, species that were so common, that's not a good harbinger for rarer species in more endangered habitats, is it?
1: No, no, that's exactly the issue. And and we do carefully look at all the bird populations There is a lot of focus on the birds that might become endangered. There's a big effort to head that off. But we've also found that once a bird is listed, that recovery efforts tend to be successful. We did an analysis a couple years ago and found out that the biggest need for the Endangered Species Act was to increase this funding for recovery. A number of birds have just been delisted. One of them was the Kirtland's Warbler up in Michigan, and it's just a result of successful conservation efforts there are some good success stories. Interior Least Turn and Kirtland's Warbler and a few others are definitely at a point where they seem to be safe and stable in terms of avoiding extinction and on their way to recovery. So,
0: But others worry you.
1: Well, changes to the law itself are worrying me. There's been some rulemakings that can make it very difficult to get protection for new species or provide for adequate habitat protection. So there's I do think that the process has become politicized and we're feeling it's a real challenge to get the level of protection that the birds really need.
0: People know the phrase canary in the mineshaft, meaning an early harbinger of something bad about to happen. Now it seems like our whole bird population is the canary in the mineshaft, our wild bird population.
1: That's right. And they also are showing that they are a big indicator for global warming and climate change, where you're seeing rain shifts in terms of just because it's a little warmer the birds are are actually much further north and they're literally following the climate band as it changes and so they're fortunate in the sense that they can fly to a new ideal environment for themselves not every critter has that luxury
0: and yet it seems that if as we expand our population gets bigger our agricultural needs are bigger people tear down forests for cut down forests for wood for myriad purposes The birds, they got to give.
1: We really do need to provide incentives to landowners to grow trees and to maintain their forest. If property values shift too far, they might go into real estate and all that land gets developed. If we need to grow trees for climate, we should make it a real lucrative thing for the landowner to do. How
0: successful is that?
1: We're seeing some success. The California carbon market is really probably the greatest example where, it allows for forest conservation projects most of them have been either longer rotation forestry or reforestation and so either way the environment is winning because we're we're growing trees and absorbing that carbon and providing for that habitat the california market is something that we probably need to make national
0: there was a conflict in the Pacific Northwest over loggers versus habitat. And I think one of the bumper stickers was something like, save a logger, eat a a spotted owl. Is that the way our relationship with the natural world in general and birds in particular is going?
1: It is kind of ironic because birds in general are very popular, but a couple of birds, like the the greater sage-grouse and the spotted owl, have sort of been the flashpoint for these Huge land use issues, whether it's conservation of the many millions of acres of public lands in the sagebrush country or the old growth forest in the Pacific Northwest. And the fact that these birds declined so far is really kind of an indication that the habitat was not being used and not being properly conserved. There's been, I think, a very successful effort to protect the old growth forest under the Northwest Forest Plan. It by no means a perfect plan, but it has brought an end to the worst type of old growth logging that used to happen. And we are actually seeing some real benefits in terms of improved water quality. The forests in the region are now a big carbon sink where they absorb carbon instead of being a source of emissions every year. So so the public has, has seen some real side benefits to the, in addition to the conservation of the forest. Unfortunately, we have some policymakers who are trying to open up the old growth forests again to logging, whether it be in Alaska or in the Pacific Northwest or Northern California. And so we're trying to counter that. A lot of the work that we do is in partnership with other conservation groups. We manage a coalition called the Bird Conservation Alliance, which has over 200 groups doing public outreach and events up in Congress to raise awareness about our programs.
0: People like the idea of birds, as you said. They just don't perhaps make the connection between, oh, that's a bird and I like to hear it, I like to see it and what it takes to keep that bird alive.
1: Well, yeah, and sometimes people don't see how their actions might affect things. A couple of the biggest sources of mortality for birds are window collisions and cats. With windows, it's estimated about a billion a year, and it tends to be on the glass facade and ground-level windows that tend to reflect foliage. And so there are ways that just by how the landscape is designed or Or the windows themselves, there's been windows tested that reduce the uh, number of collisions. So we're working on various pieces of legislation that encourage the use of bird-safe building design and materials. There's actually solutions for these homeowners. There's glass products and films that they can put on the window to treat them so that the collisions can be greatly reduced. And same with cats. Keeping cats indoors is safer for the cat and greatly reduces the, the predation that would happen if they were outdoors.
0: Many people let their cats outside to roam around, not thinking about the devastation that cats can wreak by killing birds. Not a pleasant thing, certainly not for bird lovers or cat lovers.
1: In the West, there is a big problem for cat owners seeing their cats outdoors, having all kinds of issues, whether it's fights with other cats, getting hit by cars and that kind of thing. But the big issue lately is coyote. Just if you're leaving your cat outside, particularly at night, it's a huge risk to them.
0: How many birds are cats responsible for killing?
1: Well, it is estimated it's in the billions. And I think it's particularly when you think about the fledgling birds, they tend to be very vulnerable for their first couple of months before they've really gotten to be full size and full strength. And so, yeah, there's just a a tremendous toll every year.
0: And what about windmills? President Trump says windmills kill a lot of birds.
1: Windmills do kill birds. We estimate as many as a million birds a year are killed by wind turbines and associated infrastructure. And there are guidelines in place right now that can reduce this mortality. Unfortunately, they're not being used that consistently. So we're working on a piece of legislation called the Migratory Bird Protection Act that we think eventually could lead to these guidelines getting into use more often. And the changes that are happening to the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, by the administration right now. One of the biggest problems with that is the fact that it won't encourage us to solve these problems any longer. The law is that it was intended to encourage industry to find ways to stop killing birds accidentally. So that whether it be um, falling into oil pits or running into communications towers, there has been a lot of effort over time to reduce that mortality and as a result of it, this change that's been proposed by the administration and already put in effect through a legal opinion a couple of years ago we're actually no longer seeing enforcement that that we used to have and so at the same time bird populations are declining we're actually seeing weaker enforcement and weaker protection with wind and also with oil and gas and pretty much on any aspect they've basically said they're no longer going to enforce the law And this could even be in extreme worst cases of oil spills, where in the past there would have been big fines applied. Now they're basically saying there's no law any longer. So we're actually already fighting, as is the state of California, so we're hopeful to overturn their efforts to weaken the law. There's a really good bill called the Migratory Bird Protection Act, sponsored by Representative Alan Lowenthal from California, that would actually bring about these best management practices that I was just talking about. So... The bill has gone through a House committee, and it's waiting a vote on the House floor, and people can express their support to their lawmakers to pass the Migratory Bird Protection Act.
0: It sounds like California's doing a pretty good job of getting on top of this.
1: California has an outstanding legislature in terms of of passing bills to protect the environment and kind of fill in the gap while the, the federal government is kind of dithering about right now. One area where California took the lead was in the phase-out of toxic lead ammunition. There's now non-toxic alternatives available, and California has kind of led the way on this transition.
0: Most Americans live in suburban or urban areas now, and I'm wondering about the urban bird population and how we're treating it and how we should regard it.
1: There's actually a lot that we can do in our urban areas. Um, Urban forests are are very important, and each homeowner can do things with their own landscaping, with things that that could actually really benefit wildlife. There's a lot of things that we could do for wildlife just in our own backyard.
0: Are you a bird watcher? Is there a species that speaks to you?
1: Well, you know, right now I'd have to say the marbled merlot is a species that really speaks to me. It's found right on the coast, northern California and Oregon and Washington State. And it's a neat little seabird that goes out and forages on little fish, and then it nests in the tops of old growth trees. And they tend to be in the very biggest trees that are like 200 years old or older. And so there's a huge overlap between the marble murlet and these really high carbon forests that are valuable in terms of the fight on climate change. There's all kinds of habitat protection and recreation management things going on to bring that bird back.
0: Well, Steve Holmer, thank you so much.
1: You're very welcome. That was a real pleasure.
0: Pat Morrison Asks is produced for the Los Angeles Times by Pat Morrison. It's edited and engineered by Mike Heflin. If you subscribe to Pat Morrison Asks, you will never miss a podcast.